Hi, my name is Kyle Bomstead and I'm a member here with Restored Church. Uh, if you're new, we want to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. Uh, we believe that church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we would love the opportunity to be able to connect with you. Uh, if you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website at restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. Uh, with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. I like it. Okay. Uh, good morning. My name is Herrick. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you to our Sunday gathering. We had ourselves an epic family time. And I love the stories that were shared. Uh, I, I have a message this morning. If you're new, we've been in a series called, uh, what is our series called? The King of His Kingdom. I've been so in this text this week, guys. I totally forgot about that other stuff. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew or whatever. Yeah, that one. We're not doing that today. Uh, I've actually been thinking and chewing on for actually for longer than just this week, uh, the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, it was written by the Apostle Paul, an early church leader who was writing to a very broken situation in an early church that he cared deeply about. And every time I find myself in the car with a long drive, which I did several long drives over the last few weeks, I've been listening to Galatians and it touched my heart deeply. <laughs> South Africans are my favorite. Um, it's really touched me deeply. And so I feel like this week, as I prayed about it, as I chewed on it, I just couldn't get Galatians out of my mind and heart. So here we are. We're going to dive into Galatians. This is a, we're not going to, we'll be back to the King of His Kingdom series uh, soon enough, but today we'll be in Galatians. And this message, I feel like, has been birthed out of a space of desperation, for lack of a better term. The stuff that I'm talking about today is stuff that I've been praying about and asking God about now for, for a while. Uh, just seeing my own flaws and shortcomings as a disciple. Forget as a pastor, just as a disciple, just as somebody who's here on this earth to love people the way that Jesus loved me, I have significant flaws and shortcomings. And so this message is really birthed out of a desire to grow, to have the gospel, the good news about Jesus, go so deep in my heart that it would go further out through me so that you, each of you, would be impacted by the love of Jesus through me and on the other side, that I would be impacted by the love of Jesus through you as these things grab a hold of your heart too. So if you'll join me, please pray for me, and, uh, and then we'll dive in. Father, uh, thank you for this morning and for this text. Thank you that even though this, this letter to the Galatians was written out of pain and anguish, the Apostle Paul seeing these churches in Galatia just struggling so deeply, even though it was written out of that space, like you are still working through that today to redeem, to restore, to renew us. This word, it's 2,000 years old, but it's as fresh as rain, as the rain that fell on us uh, last night. May there be like new life that comes out of this. Just like after a rainfall, things that were once kind of brown uh, become green, become alive. I pray that, that this message would have a similar effect spiritually. Uh, wherever we need renewal. May you meet with us, Father, this morning. God, we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay. There is a TV series that I have watched called 
for all mankind. Has anybody watched this TV series? Nobody. All right, more backstory required. It's about, it's an alternative history, like what would have happened if the Russians made it to the moon first? Little history lesson, America got there first in real life. This is an alternative history. The Russians get there first. How does that affect the course of events that unfold in the 70s, 80s, all the way up to the present? So they're, they're like up to four seasons now. One of the main characters is Ed Baldwin, and Ed Baldwin is a test pilot. Are there any pilots in the room? Woof, this, this analogy is really going to land. All right, so he's a test pilot, and so he's the kind of guy who's constantly trying to do what hasn't been done before. He's sort of like a pioneer, a technological pioneer, uh, where he's taking these, uh, these ships, these rockets, whatever, and he's tr- testing them out to see, is, will this thing fly? And so he's constantly pushing the limits, and he's just a really fascinating guy. He went to the moon, you know, like he, he did a bunch of different things, re- remarkable things. But deep down inside, one of the things that's fascinating about the show, and I love television shows because they could just go so deep down into people's characters, a lot of character development that happens, is that Ed is a really broken human. He's done remarkable things. Would anybody think that going to Mars is pretty amazing? Okay, so think that kind of a person who would to try something like that. Even though he accomplished incredible things as a pioneer, as an innovator, somebody who pushed the envelope, deep down inside, he was as broken and as messed up as anybody else. And what happened to him, actually, was that when he was up uh, on the moon at one point, his, uh, his son, there was a terrible accident back home. He was on the moon, he was away, he was kind of stranded on the moon, and his son uh, ended up getting into a terrible accident. They had been fighting, they had, uh, they were kind of, yeah, there was conflict, you imagine like having conflict with someone when you're on the moon? <laughs> Pretty, yeah. So that was going on. His son gets into a terrible accident and his son actually ends up dying. So he's carrying that like terrible shame. Terrible shame of like, and guilt of feeling like I contributed to my son's death, which is awful, obviously. But here's the thing about that. Uh, Ed Baldwin was the kind of guy who didn't necessarily just like say the things but the thing showed up. So what we saw on the TV show, what I saw on the TV show was a moment where he had this crazy outburst of anger. And everybody here has probably had them. It's actually, it's a work of the flesh in the Bible. It's it's just part of human nature, outbursts of anger. So if you've had them before, it's normal. Uh, He had one. It's part of what God is restoring in us. He had one, and it was because his daughter said, I want to go to the Navy. And so... It brought up all of this stuff. And what happened to Ed is that he made a vow after his son died, I will never let that happen again. I will never let that kind of pain be a part of this family again. So he went from pioneer, he got a desk job, he took a really safe route. He sort of like figured out, I'm going to make this okay. And if I can make this okay, then maybe we'll be okay. As soon as his daughter said, I'm going to the Navy, he just exploded, eruption. Why? Because he was scared. He was scared of losing another child. But he didn't say that. What came out was an explosion of anger. You're not going there. If you're going there, you can get out of this house, is basically what happened. Maybe you've been in a spot like that before, where you have an outburst of anger that's just like, oh my gosh, where did that come from? Well, here's the thing. 
Uh, Ed believed things that weren't true. He believed lies. That was leading to guilt. That was leading to shame. That was leading him to not be able to accept his life and him trying to fix everything and control everything. What's my point in saying all this? Broken beliefs lead to broken behavior. Broken beliefs lead to broken behavior. And he really believed that he was guilty, that he was responsible for his son's death, and that he had to atone for it. They actually used that language in the show, which just blew my mind. It's not a Christian show at all. He believed he had to bear the burden of sin and shame in order to be free from it. And that, by the way, is a losing proposition. It will never work. And so what ends up happening to him is that his wife comes alongside him and listens to him and helps unpack those lies. She could see beyond the broken behavior to the person who was really hurting. And he needed truth. He needed mercy. He needed compassion. In the letter to the Galatians that Paul is, is that we're going to look at today, obviously we haven't been in this letter for weeks like we have been with Matthew, so a little bit of context. I'll try to do it quickly. Um, there is a church, a bunch of Christians that in the early church that are struggling with false beliefs and lies about God. Uh, they believed, among other things, that they had to do certain things in order to be accepted into the family of God. Like circumcision, for example, which is connected to this whole other covenant, this whole other relationship that God had with Israel. There was false teaching going around. There were lies that these, these Christians were accepting into their life. And guess what ended up happening? Broken beliefs lead to broken behavior. You can say it with me, actually. This is helpful. Broken beliefs lead to broken behavior. Let's do it one more time. Broken beliefs lead to broken behavior. Okay. So they had these broken beliefs about God, and their behavior was dis, dis, degenerating disintegrating, their community was falling apart. There was fighting, there was rivalries, uh, there was people trying to instigate, stir things up. Uh, it was broken. There was jealousy, jealousy, it's a new one for you, jealousy, anger, envy, strife. The works of the flesh is what the Bible would call that. That's the, that's the language that Paul uses. That's all like just our fallen human nature. That's just what's normal, what's natural to us. If that sounds like your family, your, your upbringing, or maybe yesterday, or maybe right now, normal stuff. But here's the crazy part. When Paul starts this letter to the Galatians, he does a quick summary, a quick drive-by of like the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And he says, he basically says God had, that God sent his son to rescue us from this present evil age. Rescue. It's a rescue operation so that we don't stay stuck in this present evil world and become worldly. That's what Jesus is about. That's what he's on about. And today, we are going to take a quick look. I say quick. I'm going to try to keep it quick. A look. These are like, in my mind, there's always like three minutes, but it ends up like preacher minutes are like six times longer. We're going to try to do this quickly because I believe that God ultimately wants to free us this morning and he wants to use people to do it. And we're going to see a text that shows us how you and me actually play a role in each other's lives, just like Ed Baldwin's wife did, in experiencing the fullness and the freedom of the gospel. Uh, if you're new and you're not necessarily a follower of Jesus, this might feel like a little bit of an insider message, um, but I just want to encourage you to stick with us. 
to hang with us. Because if you're here, there's a good chance you're probably interested or at least learning about what is this Jesus thing all about? Who is he? Who are these people? What is the church all about? This is a really good way to kind of like see. Let me pull back the screen of like, here's what it is. Here's what healthy relationships look like in the church. Here's what they're supposed to look like. And here's who, what, who, what we want to be about as a community. Paul ultimately wrote this to combat lies and help us to be united. So I'm going to invite you to jump in with me. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. Now I just want you to think about, as I'm talking this morning, as I'm, as I'm sharing, like think about a really broken relationship or situation that you're facing right now or that you have faced, even recently. Maybe it's somebody that's not here today. Maybe it's somebody in this room. But there's tension, there's conflict. Uh, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. The truth is, this is normal. What is not normal is what I'm going to talk about today, which is how to handle it. That is not normal. How do we combat lies that are in my heart and in yours and lead people to freedom? Here we go. Galatians 6, 1 to 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, we'll unpack that a little bit later, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I want to share quick, three quick observations with you after spending quite a while in Galatians in these verses and the surrounding verses. Uh, number one, if you're taking notes, God guides people through people. God guides people through people. In verse 1, the word that really jumps out to me is restore. Did you guys catch that word? Restore such a person. When lies and troubles spring up, God's solution is you. And me. What? Yeah, it's true. Uh, I want to share something quickly with you guys. One of the earliest memories that I have, I don't actually remember if this was, if I was actually watching this on television or if, if I was watching like a recap of it, but in 1987, which makes me think this is probably not live, something crazy happened that was watched all over the world. Baby Jessica. Does anybody have any recollection of this? Oh yeah. A few of us in the room have, remember this. Okay, if you don't know, if you don't, this is great. What are we talking about? <laughs> in 1987, uh, baby Jessica was a little girl, I think it was in Texas, it was in Texas, who suddenly was all over the news. At the time, right now, like this is 2022, we are used to 24-7 news cycles, we're used to, to Instagram and TikTok and social media, all these things all the time. Back then, I think there was just one network that was like 24-7, and that was CNN. And CNN somehow, I don't know exactly how they did it, they were on site quickly and they broadcast for, I think it was 57, 58 hours of the baby Jessica saga and the nation was gripped. There's no way this would happen now. Nowadays, like, you know, two million people would be watching. But back then there was like, I don't know, six channels. Probably not true. There's probably like 30 channels, and everybody kind of had to watch the same sort of thing. Not that many options. And so the nation, the United States and its outlying territories of Puerto Rico, apparently, because I remember this, <laughs> for 58 hours, we were glued to the television set. 
she fell down a well. She was a little girl. I'm trying to remember how she was 18 months old. So if you can imagine, you're a parent, you are watching kids in your backyard. All of a sudden, you get a phone call. So you step away for a minute and then you hear screaming. And you go outside and everybody's around this, this well and your daughter's in it at the bottom. She fell into the well. She was 18 months old. It was, there was a daycare center there that was run out of that home. Nobody to this day knows how she ended up in there because there was actually like a big rock that was blocking this hole. But somehow she made it in. Or at least the article that I, that I was reading about it said that nobody knows. She became trapped. She fell through a 20-centimeter opening, which I thought I had converted to inches, but it's not many. Anybody know 20 centimeters in inches? Just a few inches. Yeah. So she fell in. Sorry, guys. This is not the point. She fell into a really small hole, and it felt like a lifetime for her parents, as you can imagine, the emergency rescue services were there within three minutes, so they got there really fast, but it felt like forever. And she was trapped. So for the next 58 hours, she was trapped in like 22 feet below, 22 feet below the ground in an opening that was only eight inches wide. Rescue, tr- rescue crews were frantically trying to save her by getting out of the well, but she had fallen so deep into this well that she was actually beneath layers of rock that were harder than granite in an up opening with such a small diameter that you couldn't get her out without actually hurting her. So what did rescuers end up doing? They actually drilled a two and a half foot wide, 30 foot deep parallel hole to the well. And so the, down there, I think they were like one foot beneath kind of where she was, and so they connected it. Kind of like think of the machines that you would use to put like a telephone pole in, that sort of thing. Rat hole rig is things what they call it. And they drilled a horizontal tunnel to basically connect the two, the two wells. While this is happening, as you can imagine, breathing is a problem for her, so they had to pump oxygen down into the well. And she would kind of moan and wail, and sometimes she would sing nursery rhymes with the rescuers, so they wanted to keep constant communication with her the entire time. And they got to know her. Like, they got to understand her moods, actually. The rescuers understood, like, when she was upset, when she would go quiet, she had an angry voice, is what the rescuer said. They got to know her. They were with, with her in it. And so this is all playing out in front of the entire world through CNN. So then what happened? Three days later, they went down, and they got her out. She was down in that hole for three days, 58 hours, if you can believe it. She had to go through 15 surgeries to treat the complications that happened because she was trapped underground. If you can imagine this, she had no food or water for 58 hours. Can you imagine a baby, 18-month-old baby with nothing for 58 hours? Can you imagine you for 58 hours with nothing? The hanger and all, all that stuff? So when she finally did regain her health, she was left with a missing toe on her right foot. She had a scar on her forehead and chronic but controllable rheumatoid arthritis. Why am I telling you a story about a baby being rescued out of a hole? Like, what's the, what's the point? God's plan for you 
when you, get, when you fall into a hole is for somebody to get you out. God wants to guide you, rescue you through people. They might be in this room. You may not like that. You may love that. I don't know. But my point is, like, think about your life. Is there something that you're caught in today? Lies, unbelief, like unhealthy thought patterns, unhealthy behaviors, unhealthy relationships. Are you caught? Or on the flip side, since this passage is really talking to the rescuer, if you will, to the person that's actually uh, guiding somebody out of that, do you see somebody who's caught in something? The answer might be you. The answer might be you. And if you're caught in something, I just want to ask you the question, like, in love, like, are you managing things on your own? Are you managing things on your own? I was thinking about this message, and I thought about this phrase that gets thrown about a lot. I think it's kind of like, I don't think anybody's, like, stoked about using this phrase. But at the same time, it gets bandied about so loosely that I'm like, I think we've lost sight of how frightening this is. And the phrase is this, I don't want to be a burden. In light of this, it should terrify you. That, that phrase should utterly terrify you. you if, if you're burdened, if you are stuck in a hole, spiritually speaking, 22 feet underground, you are a burden. You have a burden that you're carrying and you cannot rescue yourself. But our temptation, and I say this as a human, as a fellow struggler, our temptation is to be like, I don't want to be a burden. Or on the flip side, we can develop, develop a whole other identity, which is like, rescue me, rescue me, rescue me all the time. When maybe this is something that God has equipped you to handle. With all that said, like, the more pressing question is, like, are you managing things on your own? If you are, I have good news for you. Jesus came to free you of that. Because you can't get out of a hole on your own. Number two, if you're taking notes, second observation from this text, the best guides are followers. The best guides are actually followers. Uh, Galatians 5, this is like the slightly wider context here. Galatians 5, 25, 6 to 2 says this, if we live by the Spirit, let's, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's the key there. The people, remember how Paul used the word spiritual? You who are spiritual, what does that mean? It doesn't mean what we tend to think of it in terms of like, I'm a spiritual person, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, that kind of usage in today's, that's not what he's talking about. He's literally talking about like people who are led by the Spirit of God. People who, whose lives are marked by love is ultimately what he's saying. And we do that as we live by the Holy Spirit, as we become obedient children. Every person on earth is in need of a rescue. You, me, we. God has actually sent his son to adopt us into his family. Jesus does that. But as, as he does that, he also, he gives us his Holy Spirit, but he gives us a choice as to whether we want to actually obey the Spirit or not. This is a bit, a bit of an aside. I'm going to try to keep it really brief for time's sake. But did you know that you have a, if you're a Christian, you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and you can grieve him? Did you know that? You can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And that's, Paul writes about this. Check your Bibles. Read Ephesians. 
Paul says that when we harbor bitterness, when we are angry, uh, when, we, when our relationships are in disarray because of our sin, we are actually grieving the Spirit of God who came to unite us as brothers and sisters. You can also quench the Spirit of God. You can relate to the Holy Spirit in such a way where the influence of the Spirit wanes in your life. Did you know that? It's something that I've been thinking about more and more. Living by the Spirit, ultimately it's, a, it's cultivation. It's like we're cultivating a heart and mind space that welcomes the Spirit of God. Is that true for you? So while Jesus loves us and laid down his life for us, he will not overrule you if you don't want him to rule over you. He won't. This is true for me too. The best guides, people who know how to be there for others and help them out, are followers who are living by the Spirit. Which means we ought not be too impressed with things like how gifted a person is, how much Bible they know, how many years they've been in the church. It's not all that important. Gifts are given by the Spirit, but fascinatingly, in the letter to the Galatians, Paul doesn't really talk about giftedness hardly at all. He mentions it only in passing. But he spends so much time talking about this. Love. Following the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit. Verse 26, and here's the, here's the stuff that grieves the Spirit of God. Let's not become conceited. And that word conceit is really difficult. It's not a word anybody, I don't ever use the word conceit. Does anybody here? It's kind of like, what does that even mean? Uh, one of the ways that it's, that I think one of the definitions is more helpful is vainglorious. It's like being vain. It's being puffed up. It's becoming proud and arrogant. He's saying, let's not do that. Let's not provoke one another. Let's not envy one another. Brothers and sisters, that's the context for this. Humbly restore one another as you are led by the Spirit. The best guides are followers. Spirit-led. Why? I think the Holy Spirit, he's sort of like uh, those in the, the baby Jessica story. Like he knows how to drill down. He knows how to connect. He knows what's needed to actually rescue someone. He knows individuals down at a heart level. And so a, a person who's led by the Spirit understands the terrain and the traps and the temptations of given situations because God is leading them. And because they've been there themselves. They're rescued people. Uh, Ed Baldwin, I was talking about Ed Baldwin earlier. It was his wife that helped lead him out of that because she understood his pain, his grief, and guilt. And she knew what that was like. And she had experienced some level of freedom in that. And so she was able to love him out of it. And the crazy part is, like, that show is a secular show. It's not, these aren't Christians writing this stuff. But I feel like they know what it looks like to restore people as well as anybody I've met in the church. Are you a spirit-led person? The key question here is like, who or what directs your life? Who do you follow? Who do you follow? Think about like, who has the most influence in your life? Is it, is it friends? Is it a spouse? Is it a boss? Or is it the spirit of God? Like, who has the most influence in your life? If it's the spirit, then you are a rescue worker. You're a spiritual first responder. You're a guide. Observation number three. The best guides and followers can fall. 
the best guides and followers can fall. Galatians 6.1b says, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. In other words, the same thing that you're seeing happen, overtake someone, can happen to you. Uh, I, I love Eugene Peterson's message uh, paraphrase. For some reason, I feel like it stirs things up with, with a certain stream of kind of very doctrinal, doctrinally-minded people. But it was amazing. The way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases these verses out of Galatians, I was literally reading essentially the same thing out of the commentaries I was in. The dude just gets it, but he could just make it really easy to understand. So I'm going to read out of, the, out of the message, Galatians 6, 1 to 3, that I think really hits on what does it look like for a guide to fall? And he says, this is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of these verses. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, someone falls into a hole, whatever, Forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed by sin and share their burdens and so complete the law of Christ. If you are too good for that, you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. So here's one of the great temptations as we pursue healthy relationships with each other is that we can become proud. We can think that I would never do that. Or how did you get into that space? There was a, um, something really interesting happened recently for my family. Some of you guys know this, but a lot of you guys probably don't. Um, there was a massive storm that hit Puerto Rico, like, I don't know, a few weeks ago. I forget exactly when it was. And uh, over the summer, I used kind of like this analogy about waters rising. Does anybody remember that during the Psalm series? Okay. So it happened again. It happened again. And my parents wound up in a situation where there was so much rain. It was like 30 inches of rain in certain parts of the island, which is just, how do you survive that? Now, the rains were really bad, and the waters rose uh, all the way up to my parents' house. And they needed to be rescued we actually have a video of it um, in the back. I think it's towards the, I was gonna use it later on in the message, but let's see if we can play it so you guys can see what happened to them. This is my parents. That's my mom and dad right there. Getting taken out of their house. In a bulldozer. You can see the waters like basically almost up into their house, but not quite yet. And there were rescuers coming through to grab people that wanted to be taken out. Is my mom waving? I'm not sure who she's waving to. <laughs> awesome, thank you. That was viewed 113,000 times on Instagram. Uh, that's the moment of their rescue. And as you can imagine, I was really happy to see it. We had a good laugh about it afterwards. But um, one of the fascinating things that happened was that because it was on Instagram, the, the dark side of Instagram is that people can say what they want <laughs> with little to no accountability. And they do, and they did. So there's like dozens of comments, several of which were like pretty mean, <laughs> uh, pretty mean towards my parents. And basically like, I know better, you should know better. Like, why were you in that spot? needing this. There's people that are in much worse positions that needed a rescue and you, basically they were like, 
coming down on them hard. Coming down on them like really hard. And what it, what it got me thinking about is like how, well, two things. Number one, I actually didn't really care that much that people had nasty things to say because they're fine. My parents are fine. So I'm just happy that they got out of there. But number two, it's so easy to become proud and arrogant towards other people in their weakness and in their low moments. It's just human nature. It's the flesh. It's becoming conceited. It's becoming jealous because my family didn't get rescued. Yours did. And look, my family had it worse. What's wrong with you? I know better. You should know better type thing. I mention this because I think this can happen to anybody. This could happen in the church where we could look at one another when we get stuck or when we fall into sin and be like, how did you end up there? Why are you doing that? The truth is, all of us can fall. (laughs) Paul literally said, like, watch out for yourselves lest you fall into a hole. And when we don't have that in mind, we can mock. Probably wouldn't happen that much in the church. It doesn't show up as mocking, but it can show up as looking down on other people and judging them. And I'm just letting you guys know this is, I'm human too. This is humanity, and Jesus is calling us to something different. He's calling us to something totally different. So my question with this is, are you aware of how easily you could fall when you see somebody else's sin and brokenness? Like, are you aware of how, aware of how easily you could fall? Because that will actually change the game for you, if you can. I remember once uh, I, I had a conflict with someone years ago, and what, what this person said um, what, what happened basically was that he said some things that made me feel like misrepresented. If you've ever been in that spot where you feel like misrepresented, it does something. And so I wanted to clear my name. And I did in a very ugly way. I just let him have it. I sat down and was like, just kind of unloaded. And it was not loving. It wasn't gentle. It was fleshly. It was human because my pride was wounded, my ego was wounded, and I didn't realize like, oh, this is actually, I'm tempted to fight sin with sin in this moment. I needed somebody to help me with that, but instead of getting help, I I just plowed in. And so what ended up happening afterwards was uh, somebody found out about it and took me out to, to have a drink and just sat me down and talked to me and asked me questions about that situation, a mutual friend. And they helped me to see how my, I was actually operating out of pride and not the power of the spirit to restore a brother. And now, like, I realize, oh, I, fall, I fell. I fell. His, he, this guy blew it, this brother blew it, and now I blew it. And now we're both in a ditch. <laughs> and I didn't actually help him. I fell into it with him. That wasn't careful. I wasn't aware of how easily I could fall. So here's the reality. We could fall. We need one another, and we could fall. So how do we actually help one another? How do we actually guide one another? I came up with a little um, acronym called GUIDE. How do we guide one another? Yeah, there it is. So I'm going to just share this as quickly as I can. and we're running out of time. But just so you know where this is coming from, This is coming out of a space where I realize that I need help. I need like the wisdom of scripture and the power of the spirit to help me to love brothers and sisters who are hurting 
who may be overtaken. I love the language Paul uses, like overtaken by a sin. It's so gentle. If a sin just trips you up and takes you down. Uh, so it's not even, yeah, it's not like they're sinning. It's like situations where not, it's not somebody sinning against me, but where I see something in someone's life where they've fallen. How do we guide one another out of it? Here's five things. And it's guide, G-U-I-D-E, guide. And this is for, for you. You can use this too. Uh, as, as you seek to love people in your gospel community, as you seek to love people, whether you're, whether you're a young person, whether you're an adult, this applies to every relationship in your life. This is a way to guide one another through things. And it's important, I, have a, I made a note, to think of this less like a spectrum, I'm sorry, more like a spectrum and less like steps. So it's sort of like, on the one side, we can fall into the, the pride ditch, and on the other one, we can fall into passivity. So what I mean by that is when we see somebody hurting, we can become proud and arrogant on the one side, or we could just not care, or we could be kind of like self-focused. So this, if we go back to the, the guide, this can actually help you. So if we are dealing with pride, we got to probably go here, get the log out. By that, I mean like deal with your own heart first, and I'll, and I'll share how to do that quickly, or seek to understand the other person. What are they going through? and then like gently inform them. Do you, do you kind of know what the Bible actually says about this? On the other side, if you're, if you're prone to passivity or to kind of like hurt pride, which I know I am, when I see somebody that doesn't necessarily um, meet my criteria for like bending down to rescue them, and I might just pass by them, I actually need to say things like, hey, I think you're in danger, or actually go get somebody else to help me. So it's a spectrum. It's not necessarily like a step-by-step list. And I'll unpack these really quickly. But the key question is like, which ditch could you be tempted to fall into right now if you see someone down? Pride or passivity? So on the pride side, let's go to G, get the log out. We'll go through this pretty quickly. G, get the log out. These are the two questions that I want to ask myself. Really, before I dive into anything, Paul says, be careful lest you be tempted, right? So a really good question is, Lord, how have I done something similar to this brother or sister who's down? If you ask that question, odds are you will enter into that conversation way differently. I wish I had asked that question uh, when, I was, when I was trying to help my friend a few years back. Lord, how have I done something similar? Spirit, how am I tempted to judge them? Two questions. These are actually two great starting point questions as you move towards anybody that's hurting in any way. That's a G. Okay, let's go to you. Understand. So this is really about compassion. Understand. Do I know what they've been through? This, this person that's here that's hurting. Do I actually know what they've been through? If it's Ed Baldwin, you see like the outburst of anger. But do I actually know the pain he's carrying? Do I know what they've been through? This is why stories, by the way, are so important. In gospel communities, if you're new, a gospel community is simply a group of people, men and women, it could be adults, it could be young people, we have youth gospel community too. People who are learning to follow Jesus together, that's what a gospel community is. And one of the strategies that we have for our gospel communities is sharing stories. And if you've ever been a part of a gospel community before, odds are you've, you've actually probably heard at least one story. RGC just did this recently and we're an intro. We heard someone's story and it was amazing. It helps with this question, do I know what they've been through? If you know somebody's story, you can enter into the, that relationship so differently with compassion and love. 
Another good question is, do I see how they've arrived here? Do I understand how they made these choices and got to this point? If I don't, I probably need to slow down a little bit and ask more questions. Next one is I, inform. We're going to fly through these. The question here is, what do they need to know? If you understand what they've been through, if you've taken the log out of your own eye, dealt with your own pride, then a really good question is just like, what do they need to know? This is going to protect us from the assumption that they already know, because they might not. What do they need to know? Are they aware of what Scripture says? Again, this is from a place of humility. The Bible can be used to bash people who have not gotten the log out of their eye or understood the person that they're dealing with. On the other side, though, the Bible can bind up and heal the truths in the Scripture because they're ultimately about Jesus. Next thing is D, danger. So that's, think of like actually saying, think of like a caution flag. You raise the, the caution flag. There's a fascinating sport called NASCAR where cars make, I think, four circles, four lefts all the time and just go in circles. You guys know what I'm talking about? It was like the fastest growing sport in the history of time at one point. Super interesting, just circles. I think they might have mixed in right turns every, like recently. Does anybody, can anybody confirm this? Yeah. So see, we don't even know. Circles. One of the things that I, um, that I think is interesting about NASCAR is that they'll like wave a flag every so often. It's called a caution flag. Anybody ever seen one of these before? Why do they, do, why do they use caution flags? If there's an accident, what could happen? Danger, right? Slow down. Something bad could happen. Um, did you know that part of your job as a Christian is just to raise the caution flag? And actually say the thing. I don't like this particularly because I have been shaped, I think, and molded by the spirit of this age, which says, like, you do you and I'll do me. I've done this. I'm not proud of it. But the reality is I'm here to raise the flag when I see it. Understandably, I want to do this with a lot of love and respect, understanding people and where they're coming from, but I still need to do it. Because if I don't, what happens if there's no caution flag and one NASCAR driver keeps driving while another one is crashed? More destruction. Thank you, Mark. So danger. And then the E is enlisting help. This is the last part of it, of, of guide. Enlist help. This is a part of the humility of a disciple to say, I'm called to share in someone's burdens, but I can't carry all of it. So we help one another. We support one another. Who might be able to help? Sometimes it's going to look like professional care. Like, hey, this is a situation where I think professionals need to get involved, and that's okay. It's not unloving to say that. It's actually could be the most loving thing that you can do. It might just be situations where it's like, hey, we just need more people. Sometimes it's a conflict where, where sin has contributed to a conflict, and we just need like spirit-led Christians who can help us make peace. It's okay to enlist help. In fact, as part of Matthew 18, which is we're dealing more with like when I get sinned against, one of the steps there is asking for help if we can't sort it out between the two of us type of thing. And I think the same, I'm thinking of the same kind of thing here where there might come a point where it's like, I don't know what to do, but someone here, somebody else might. Enlisting help is not bad. I think I used the analogy once of like calling in 
additional uh, air support if you're in the military, which I think somebody here in this room has done before, but it's like it's a real thing. There might be situations where you just need to call more support because the, the fighting is so intense, the warfare, I'm thinking spiritual warfare here is so intense where we just need backup, we need reinforcement. So can we put the guide up one more time? This is a framework to help you through any situation. We can move through situations in a more healthy way together as a community and pursue health and wholeness. And this is one way to do it. It's not the only way, but until this point, for whatever reason, I just didn't have anything else. So here it is. Uh, I have some additional thoughts too that I want to quickly, I want to land the plane. Baby Jessica was talking about earlier, who fell, in the, fell into the well. Uh, she, when she was five years old, she was watching television. And she was watching a show called Rescue 911. Does anybody? Uh-huh. What do you remember about that show? Yep, it's an old one. We don't remember much, but it was a real show. And it was about rescue stories. And baby Jessica, she's five years old. She's sitting there, she's watching and she's, he, she's hearing the story of a rescue and she starts like tearing up, like she's really moved. And she turns to um, her, her stepmom, was like, tell me, like, who is that? And her stepmom says, that's you. It was the story of her rescue, of baby Jessica's rescue. She didn't know. She was five years old, she had no idea. And I had this thought as I was listening reading about that, thinking about Galatians, and it's this. It's remembering our rescue restores our identity. We can't even know who we are unless we know that we've been rescued. Remembering our rescue restores our identity. Paul, in the letter to Galatians, is saying, you've been rescued. Don't forget. Don't go back to the law to try to be rescued. That was only a little placeholder for a little while to get you ready for the the rescue to come, which was Jesus. Because the Galatians didn't remember their rescue, they became proud, arrogant, and they needed this kind of instruction. And the truth is, this could be us too. This could be anybody. Have you thought, um, if you're a Christian in the room, when you think about your story, about how God rescued you, what happens to you? If you really start to dig into it, uh huh, I see some nodding. Gratitude. Gratitude. When you remember, when I remember that I was in a ditch, I don't have time to tell my story. One day I'll do it. I've done it before, actually. Um, I was in a ditch that I chose, and Jesus came down and rescued me. And it was through people. It was through people that he sent on my college campus. Young people. I was a young person who just loved me enough to tell me Jesus loves you and he's calling you. And they trusted the Spirit's work in my life because I was running. And Jesus rescued me. I was lost and in darkness, and he rescued me, and my life has never been the same since. When I think about that, it's hard to get proud. It's hard to look down on people when I've been in a ditch too. Remembering our rescue restores our identity. Another thing, uh, really quickly, another incredible rescue story that I uh, came across as I was thinking about rescues this week was on Mount Everest, People climb Mount Everest now, like regularly. It wasn't a thing, you know, in many, many generations ago, but in the last two or three generations, it's become a regular thing. People actually climb Everest. 
there are stories about people climbing Everest that are hard to believe. And one of them is there was a, there was a guy who was on Mount Everest, which by the way, like you, nobody just kind of enters into that haphazardly. I think you have to, it costs tens of thousands of dollars and you have to train for it. So the investment is enormous to actually make it up to Mount Everest. And there was a guy uh, who basically fell and he was down. When you get up to that altitude, the conditions are so extreme that a lot of things can go wrong. Extreme uh, exhaustion and fatigue. You could lay down for a minute, fall asleep, and wake up, you know, frozen or whatever. Uh, all these kind of things can happen. But this guy was on the side. He was in distress. Uh, he had been left behind. And there were all these climbers that just walked past them and, and ended up dying. Ended up dying. And I, I, have to, I have to land the plane because of time, but my point is... Uh, when we're talking about vainglory, which is what I was talking about earlier, we're talking about selfishness, we're talking about project me, life is all about me, 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 we can live as though life is about getting to the top of whatever. Your social sphere, your friends group, the business world, your, your career, whatever, getting to the top isn't the point of your life. And if it is, you might actually leave people by the wayside there was a group of climbers that came across the same situation. They'd been training for months, and they saw a guy who was in desperate shape, and they, ha- they like looked at each other like, we can't leave that guy here. And so this guy was burdened. Uh, he, he had a, a, a brain, I don't remember what it's called, whatever. When you're up at that, at that altitude, it can mess with your mind, it can mess with your body, and he was experiencing like extreme symptoms, and so he wasn't in his right mind. So they had to, they had to say goodbye to the summit that they had been training for for months, that they had spent tens of thousands of dollars to get to, to save this man's life, to bring this man down to safety. And for them, it wasn't even a question. It's like, this is the right thing to do. Why? Why? Why is climbing to the top, getting to the top of your chosen field, profession, friends group, whatever, why is that not okay and why is forsaking it for someone else's life the right thing? Because that's what Jesus did for us. This is messy. It will cost us something, but we must rescue this man. That was their mindset. Because they don't even know it necessarily. Our world is kind of hangs in darkness, but this is the truth. Being human means I'm here for you. Sin says you're here for me, or you're an obstacle that I need to climb over to get to the top. Jesus, our Savior, says I'm here for you. And he stooped down, picked us up, and brought us off the mountain. And then at the end, he was so exhausted and fatigued that he expired too. He died so we could live. But now he's alive. The father raised him from the dead. And now we don't have to live as though life is all about us. We can actually begin to live as guides for one another because Jesus guided us back to the father. 
So now you're in this family, if you're a part of this community, and if you're not, we would love for you to, to come and join us and explore what it looks like to actually become a group of people who love one another so much that they say, I'm not, you're not here for me, I'm here for you. So I'm going to call the band back up. We're running a little low on time. I'm going to invite you to stand, if you're able. Jesus thought you were worth rescuing. That's what I keep thinking about. Jesus thought you were worth rescuing. Do you believe other people are worth rescuing? And you have to put up with stuff because we're human. One thing that I missed is that This is going to be costly and messy if we embrace this way of life, but it's totally worth it in the end. There might be situations where you step into this and it doesn't go well. Seek to guide until you're denied. There's a little phrase I came up with for me, but I'm sharing it with you. Pastorally, I face these situations all the time, but here's the thing. This is equipping for you because we believe that the church, you are ministers of the gospel. You are in people's lives to help them be reconciled and restored to Jesus. Can I just invite you to think about like what would get in the way of actually pursuing people that way? Of being the kind of person where like I seek to help you, I seek to guide until I'm denied, until you say no more, I don't want what you have to offer at that point. Okay. It's costly, it's messy, but it is worth it because Jesus has done this and gone before us. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. Tom will come up and close this in a little bit. Father, thank you that you sent your son. And even though our sin says, everybody's here for me, it's about me, my needs, my schedule, my agenda, my pride. Our Savior says, I'm here for you. It's about love. But I thank you that since you've met us in this way, that now we can meet one another in this way and be restored to healthy relationships where we guide one another through messy, broken situations to the other side, towards grace, towards love, towards acceptance, towards mercy, towards a full and complete rescue from all of the effects of this broken, evil age so that we can become people who are a new creation new people in this old world learning how to do things your way until this old world is made new. God, would that inspire us today and move us towards one another with grace and love. Help us to see whatever would keep us from pursuing that. Help us to confess it and repent of it as sin that would keep us from loving you and people. We love you. In your name, amen. We have prayer ministers off on the side. If anything that I talked about stirred up in you, uh, I just want to encourage you, go get prayer, anything at all, whether on the side of moving towards people or on the side of feeling some resistance towards people 
who might be moving towards you. Let's sing. Okay, so this is one of those mornings when I wish we had like another hour. Some of you are like, I wish we didn't. I want to go to lunch. I'm hungry or you have to pee or whatever. But listen to me. Um, man, we're going to do this. I'm, I'm convinced in like the core of my being, in my bones, <clears throat> that God, that Almighty God desires to rescue some of you this morning. Some of you, like, you actually haven't received Jesus as Lord, and you can feel Herrick's talking, and he's describing these things, and there's, like, a bit of, like, a maybe a butterfly feeling in your stomach or an unsettledness in you, and, like, there's a reality of placing your trust in Jesus. It literally can result in your freedom. It can result in you experiencing God in such a way that the things that are keeping you bound, the well that you've fallen into of doing life your way, you can actually see the daylight again. And hear me, and some of you, maybe that's not like the, uh, that you've experienced that deliverance from the bondage of you being at the center of your life, and you're like, man, I've experienced the love of Jesus, he saved me, it's beautiful. But you find yourself in these patterns where you get stuck again. We were like, I know that's a well. I'm, I'm not going to fall in it. I fell into it before. Oh, I'm diving in. Like, it's like this, this pattern. And I, I really feel like this. I feel this angst in me, guys. I feel this, like, pastoral burden of, like, I think it's the heart of the Father. Of, like, for some of us in the room, he, he doesn't condemn you. He just, he wants to spare you from falling in the same well again. And, and, the, and the tools that he uses to get you out are his hands and his feet, his body. That's the church. And so can I just like beg you? <laughs> I think some of you, like you need, to, you need to bring some things into light in your life, not so that you can have your face rubbed in it, so that you can taste God's mercy and grace. And you can experience the freedom and the joy of getting out of that well. Um, two things before we close. We have like literally one minute left. Uh, Lisa, will you come share? And then Herrick, will you share? And then I'll close this quick. There's a couple things that I feel like God's highlighting that he wants to minister to you before you go, okay? Hi. Um, during the end of the message, I just had uh, this picture of a house fire, like the room filling with smoke um, and people lying on the floor. Um, like the impression that maybe they don't know that they need rescued uh, and that we need to break down the door. Um, if that is you, I would love to pray for you, or if it is your household. Um, and also the word macular degeneration. If there is somebody um, uh, who needs healing for their eyes, I would love to pray for you as well. Thank you. Uh, I, I get the sense, too, that that house fire thing, it, even if it's not you, it's somebody that you know and you can see in their life, and you're like, dude, they're in danger, and the smoke's filling the room, and they don't see it and before it's too late. Maybe the word is for you, and God wants to encourage you. Let Lisa pray for you. She wants to encourage you of how you might love and serve a brother or sister. Uh, Lisa will be right over here. JB, share, share what you had, bro. I'm mic'd up. Um, the, the thought I had, I was going back and forth with a friend this week, thinking about trees. We are talking about different things, and I actually researched trees. And sometimes a tree, a single tree can, after heavy rainfall, can become like top heavy in the soil. You know, it gets, it's different after tons of rain, it's saturated and wind can come and topple it over, single tree. 
And then I was thinking, praying about that, and then I saw like a picture of sequoias. Have you ever been up there before, up in Northern California? They are, they don't necessarily have like, the deepest roots in the world, but they have deeply interconnected roots. And they have been around for literally, I think, thousands of years. And they will withstand fire and they'll withstand uh, terrible you know, rain, all the things together. So my, my thought is, um, and this could be for, I don't know, individual or for corporately, I, I don't know. But like what might cause you to fall on your own, you could withstand with others. So it might actually be an invitation to dive deeper in to the kind of community that we're talking about. Or step in to where you see people isolated that could fall. Okay, so there's two of us. I'm going to pray. There's two of us in the room. Uh, I think there's those of us who are in a season where whether we recognize it or not, we actually are in need of rescue in these certain patterns of sin or patterns of brokenness or patterns of pride or patterns of, of just like ungodliness that God in his kindness wants to reveal to us not to condemn us but to free us. So there's some of us in the room, we genuinely need rescue. We're stuck in the well and, and none of us are strong enough to get us out, to get out of it ourselves. That's one. And the second is that there's those of us in the room where you know God's inviting you into the process of, of, of partnering with him and partnering with others to help rescue people in your life. Whether you, you, maybe you see the brokenness that they're experiencing, you see the pain that they're experiencing, you see the, like, the turmoil that they're going through. And let us not be the kind of people that are just marching to the top of Everest and letting people die beneath us. God has so much more for us than that. And I watch you. Man, I watch you guys sacrifice for each other all the time. Your generosity, your consideration, your thoughtfulness. He's already doing this in us. And I got, I got excited while Herrick was preaching. I'm like, dude, what if? Like, what if we continue to be this, the type of people that genuinely band together to partner with God, to aid in our, our experiencing Jesus' rescue together? are experiencing the ways that God has intervening in our lives. He has, he is, and he will continue to intervene in our lives. What if we didn't just kind of be people who go through the motions, we show up to different things, but what if with intentionality, we grew in our knowledge of each other through vulnerability, through honesty, through trusting relationships, and we were led by the Spirit. God, how might you be using me to aid in someone's experiencing the rescue of Jesus today? And how might you want me to experience the rescue of Jesus today? I'm confident that more of God's kingdom would come and we would all be so much better for it. We'd experience the blessing of God with us, our redeemer, our rescuer. Let me pray for us and we'll close. Now, Father, thank you for this morning. So grateful for Herrick. What a gift he is to us. So grateful for just the ways that you've poured out your spirit on all of us in the unique ways. And more than anything, so grateful for you, Jesus, that you would leave the, the eternal comfort of heaven to come be our rescuer, to rescue us from all the bad choices, the unwise choices, the selfishness, and to show us a better way and to include us in your rescue efforts the people around us that you love so dearly with the same love that you have for us. Would you make us 
a community of people, a family of people, a church who are committed to seeing captives set free, to see those that have fallen into the well reach the top and see daylight again. All because of you, Jesus, your body, your blood, your life in our place, your death in our place, your grace. Let it change us. Let it lead us on. We love you. And all God's people said together, amen. All right, guys, we're five minutes over, but it's worth it. If you could, run and grab your kids in kids' ministry. Um, If you still need to receive prayer, by all means, do that. Uh, Enjoy your Sunday. Know that you're loved.